Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 52. God speaks to us in his word. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to him, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when he... And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came to be served, or not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And, he, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be Thank you, Emily. All right, have your Bibles ready because we're going to walk through this um, together. We'll also have it on the screen. Um, again, my name is Ben. If I haven't met you, I'm the lead pastor here at Shawnee, one of the pastors. And, um, and man, just again, want to extend uh, just a welcome to um, all of the guests in the room. Really are grateful that you guys would be with us. All right. So we're preaching through the book of Mark, okay? And I uh, just want to catch you up to speed on kind of how we got to where we're at. This is one of the books of the Bible, of course. It's one of the four Gospels. And the four gospels tell the story of Jesus' life, um, death, and resurrection. And they tell the story of kind of the disciples that were around Jesus, all of his healing, salvation, um, all the crazy stuff that was happening in his life. Mark is one of four gospels, um, but it's the shortest, okay? And it's only 16 chapters. And about halfway through Mark, there's a real turn. The way Mark is divided is halfway through it. There's just a, a turn now uh, because what we were getting through the first eight chapters through the eight one was the life of Jesus, miracles and um, healings 
and all kinds of cool stuff happening, but there were two questions that were being asked throughout Mark. The first is in the first half of the book. And that question is, um, who is this man? <laughs> who is he? He claims to be God, but we don't know. The verge is still out. And then throughout the first eight chapters, you come to the conclusion, he really is God. He is, he's God. I mean, Jesus calmed a storm. There was a storm raging on a sea. He calmed the storm. That's powerful. That's very God-esque. He also healed people from their diseases. That's only God can do that. And then he raised a little girl from the dead. That's a very God-esque thing to do. He's got power over nature. He's got power over sickness. And he even has power over death. He's the king. We've decided that we've been with him. The disciples have. These people that have been around him, they've lived with him. They've, you know, they've... Uh, um, eaten with him, they've uh, seen him do all these miracles. We know that he's, he has to be God. There's no way that anyone else could do that. But then the next question is, what is he like? What is God like? We know that he's God. We know that he's the king. He has to be. He's God. God is the king. But the question of what is he like or what has he come here to do? That's the question now. And that happens right in the middle of the book. And we are now two chapters into that turn. And something really shocking has happened to the disciples who've witnessed him be God, who have come to the conclusion he is God, he is the king. Uh, something has happened in the, to their life. We witnessed all of that. And now something has happened that was really shocking to them. And that is Jesus said something really crazy. Now imagine this. You don't know You've never seen God in the flesh before. You don't have the Bible. It had been prophesied that a Messiah would come and the, your interpretation of that was that he was gonna come and he was gonna rule and he was gonna establish your kingdom as the one that rules over the whole earth. That's the Messiah. He's gonna overthrow the Roman government, that current government that was, that was kind of over God's people. He's gonna overthrow them. He's gonna be established on the throne of David. That was how Isaiah prophesied about the, the king, the Messiah. When God comes, he'll be like this. So now you have established this man, Jesus, is the king. He is God. And immediately you're thinking, how is he gonna overthrow this government? He's gonna draw a sword, there's no doubt. And then the one that you have established as God who will for sure overthrow the government and establish you as the great nation. He tells you this, I am going to be put to death in open shame and open humiliation that will be an embarrassment to me and everybody that follows me. Excuse me? What do you mean? How do you plan on overthrowing the Roman government if you're gonna be put to open shame and humiliation and die? Jesus, what a crazy idea. That God would come to earth to die? And so what you have now, see this is not news to us. This would have been drastic news to them. And to be honest, one of the things that we're gonna talk about today is the fact that it's not news to us anymore. That it's old news, that God himself would come in the flesh 
and that he would die for us and that he would be resurrected. That's old news to people in the Bible Belt. How is that? How can we be over-churched but under-gospeled? Today, we're gonna see that happen to his disciples. And then we're gonna see another disciple who didn't witness or walk through nearly the same amount that the 12 disciples did. Today is a tale of two types of disciples. The first is the 12. Remember, these men had spent time with him. He was gonna overthrow the Roman government. They were ready for it. Even though Jesus told them, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna suffer. I'm gonna be put to shame. And he had just told them this. And then his disciples who had spent three years with him came up to him and this is what happened. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. First off, whew, that's a pretty big question. Very open, kind of smart when you think about it. Whatever we want you to do for us, will you do it? And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. This was a mark of power to sit at the right and the left hand of God. We have James and John, two of the 12 disciples who had been labeled as um, the sons of thunder. These are two men that wanted to blow up an entire village earlier because they wouldn't accept the disciples or Jesus. Pretty brash, these guys, the sons of thunder. Matthew tells this story in a different way because now they come up to Jesus and they say, we want authority, we want power, we want me and my brother. This is away from all the disciples. They sold out all their friends and said, we are the ones that need to sit at your right and left hand in glory. Matthew tells it a different way, even more embarrassing. Matthew says that they got their mom to go and ask Jesus for that. Okay, sons of thunder, <laughs> get your mom to do it for you. Kind of weird. I mean, how ridiculous, right? These guys have walked with Jesus and seen him heal people and cast out demons. They've, had, uh, they've seen Jesus have tremendous compassion on the crowd. He, he multiplied loaves and fishes just to feed people. He would stop and have compassion on the crowd. I mean, they, they've watched God, who, remember, they, they know he's God now, They've watched him have tremendous compassion. And he's now said to them multiple times, I need to suffer, I need to be put to shame. They've heard Jesus say things like, the first will be last and the last will be first. They've even heard him say that if you wanna enter the kingdom of God, you've got to become a servant of all. You gotta become like a little child. And then they come to him with this arrogance? What in the world? Is there something going on in their brain? It's like, dude, have you been paying attention at all? And Jesus, Jesus doesn't do what I would do. I'd, be, I'd, put, I'd find some sort of like adult timeout. <laughs> you two need to go to timeout. He doesn't do that. He teaches them. He says this. You don't know what you're asking. In verse 35, it goes on to talk about, are you able to get, drink the cup or be baptized with the baptism with which I am? And they said, yeah, we can. <laughs> they don't know what they're saying. He, 
Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism which I'm baptized, you will be baptized, talking about their death. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those whom it has been prepared. By the way, the last people that were gonna be at his right and left hand before he was resurrected were thieves on the cross. And when the 10 heard it, the other disciples, they began to be indignant. They were mad at James and John and Jesus called to them, uh, them to him and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, servant of all. Even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word ransom here would have been literally what you paid to have someone removed from jail. He came to pay the debt. Once again, we have motives exposed and they're exposed as twisted. The ones who have walked with him, again, I can't say this enough, imagine it, don't just, it's not just a story. I mean, put yourself in their shoes. They've slept on the ground. They've been nearly killed multiple times. They've seen all kinds of crazy signs and wonders. They, had, they were very tangible, real people. They had to have food and water and they had to talk together and hang out and laugh together and use the bathroom and all kinds of stuff that human beings do. Those people had been with Jesus for years at this point. And their motives are exposed. They're twisted motives. They want power and authority and comfort. They want Jesus to give it to them. But what he does is crazy to me and it's a testimony to all of us. He gives them not power and authority and comfort, he gives them the truth. And he does it because he loves them and he gives them the truth in love. And that truth is this, this is the truth. The kingdom of God is not like you think it is. The kingdom of God does not belong to the one who is able to prove himself the most. The kingdom of God does not belong to the one who's able to buy himself in. The kingdom of God doesn't even belong to the one who looks the most righteous. You cannot be holy enough to enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is upside down. It's left becoming right and right becoming left. And it's whatever you think would make it, make you be the first in the kingdom is actually would make you be the last. And then the last will be first. This kingdom is not for the one who has proven themselves. The kingdom of God is for the desperate and the needy. It's for the beggar. It's hard to imagine that men who have spent so much time with Jesus would not see this by now, right? They're so familiar with him. They've watched him serve. They're very familiar with him. They know his tendencies, the things he says, the things he does. It, 
how do they not see him? How are they so blind to who Jesus actually is? And how are they so blind to what it actually means to count the cost to lay down your life and follow him? How? Seems crazy, doesn't it? But let me put it in perspective. This is no different than you or me. And it's no different than where we live in this part of the world. We are over-churched and under-gospeled. We are way too familiar with the teachings and the work and the miracles of Jesus Christ. We're way too familiar. We're numb to it and dead to it in some ways. We see the same old thing. We hear the same old message. How many times have you heard the gospel in your life? How many times have you been to church and seen things and sang songs and (laughs) said, I believe that, but just totally blind to who God really is? That's what's happening here. They're too familiar. They're not desperate enough. They haven't quite learned this really important truth. The only hope you have in life or death is Jesus Christ. That's the only hope you have. He's our one hope. They don't know desperation yet. They'll know it but they don't know it yet. And there's a man that we're gonna talk about today that knows it, sees it. Even though he's blind, he sees clearly. Interesting, the disciples had clear sight, but they were blind. Bartimaeus was blind, but he had clear sight. So let's look at his story. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Real quick, the word cry out is not just, it's not just a suggestion. He's not just like trying to, he's, it's not even just a loud voice. It's like he is shouting, God have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. I love that. And Jesus said to him, go your way, Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Today is a contrast of two types of disciples. You've got the 12 who walked with Jesus, could see physically, but were actually blind. And you've got Bartimaeus, who had only heard of God's great fame and was actually blind, but was in reality could see. Two disciples, the familiar and the desperate. We need to get inside the heart of the story of this blind man today. It's fairly simple, and it's actually seemingly out of place. As a matter of fact, Jesus is on his way to the cross, and the rest of this book will be about his trial and his death and his burial. 
The next thing we preach on is the triumphal entry in Jerusalem where he's going to his death. It's seemingly out of place because you've got James and John now who are saying, let us have authority and power. And Jesus says, no, the son of man must die. And then here's this random guy that Jesus heals. And it's actually the last healing in Mark before Jesus goes to his death. But it's exactly where it's supposed to be because there's a contrast between these two, the familiar and the desperate. Contrast of the blind man versus the disciples is staggering. So let's look at it. The disciples are entitled. We've walked with you, we know you, we've done things that you've asked us to do. Let us sit at your right and left hand. They're entitled. The blind man is desperate. They've seen Jesus work. He can't even see it all. They've witnessed it with their own eyes. He hasn't witnessed anything. They walk into Jericho with a lot of fanfare. The disciples and Jesus would have gone into Jericho and crowds would have been following them now and lots of crowds. The triumphal entry is that moment when you've got crowds all around with palm branches waving them saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. The disciples walk into Jericho with fanfare and he's rebuked by the crowd. They tell him, shh, you're too loud. You're gonna disrupt it. They've had first row access to the Messiah and Bartimaeus has been viewed as unclean his entire life because of his blindness. If you were born with something like that or acquired something like that, you were viewed as unclean. And this story really isn't about characters in the Bible, to be honest. It's about you and me. It's about us. Us as entitled people trying to make Jesus be exactly who we want him to be to grant us what we want. Bartimaeus is a total antithesis of that. Maybe we're not desperate enough. Who is Jesus to you? I mean, think about him. And for real, think about that. Who is he? Does he look better when you think of him as believing the way that you believe? When you think about him treating people the way that you would or not treating them the way that you wouldn't? How about when it comes time to vote? Is Jesus for sure your Jesus because he will for sure vote the way that you think he should? We make God in our image. We want him to look like us and vote like us and think like us and act like us. And that's what the disciples wanted. Lord, we have a question for you. Give us anything that we want. <laughs> that's what they ask. I want a life of comfort. I want enough money to like not ever have to think about it again. I don't want any suffering or pain in my life. I want my country and people and neighborhood and everything to look exactly like what makes me the most comfortable. I don't have to fight for anything. And I would also appreciate little to no pain or suffering at all. This is about you and me. 
We want a comfortable life. We wanna be in control of our own destiny. And we would very much like for God to do exactly what we want in order for that to happen. We need to look at Bartimaeus and see how he sees. This is true discipleship. So let's dig in and we're gonna go through this pretty quickly. The first thing is this, Bartimaeus knows his need. He knows his need. And they came to Jericho and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. He believed it. This is a man that's so desperate. He knows he, his need. He's blind. He's probably been that way since birth. He cannot see. People mistreat him. He wants to be able to see. He wants to get treated right. He would like for his eyesight to be open and restored. But however, nobody's been able to do it to this point. I done been to every doctor, chiropractor, you name it. Nobody can make me see again. And I've heard about this guy from Nazareth of all places, but he's healing people. And he claims to be God. And I've tried everything. If he doesn't do it, it's not gonna get done. So tell me where he's gonna be. He knows his need. This man is desperate. He's blind. We're blind. We can't see God. If Jesus himself doesn't open up our eyes, open up the eyes of our heart to our own brokenness, to our own need, then we never know that we need a savior. And that's the thing today. Barnabas knows his need. We have to know ours. You cannot work to get in God's good graces. Jesus approached, noticed how the Bible describes this scene. He began to cry out. He knows his need. He's crying out. Jesus can heal me and that's it. He's the only one, which is the second point. He believed in Jesus. He believed in him. He believed that he was Messiah. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy, son of David. What an interesting thing to call Jesus. It's the first time he's been mentioned that in Mark. Son of David, why in the world? Is David his dad? Wasn't David born a lot of years before him? No. So yes, David was born a lot of years before him. But Jesus came from the lineage of David. And Isaiah prophesies that the Messiah will sit on the throne of David. So everybody, every Jew in this area would have known that when the Messiah comes, he will come from the lineage of King David. And it's the most qualifying statement. If there was one statement that could have been made at this point in the story of Jesus, that would have let you know exactly how someone sees him and views him, it would have been to call him son of David. You are the one. You're the one they prophesied about. You are the Messiah. And let me prove to you how much I know it. You are the son of David. Love this, man. He believed him. He knew he was the Messiah. 
Had others come through the town probably claiming to heal? Yeah. Had others come through claiming to be Messiah? Yes. But the blind beggar discounts all of them and qualifies his belief and says, you are the son of David. He believed in Jesus. He knew his need. He believed in Jesus. And the final thing is his faith was persistent. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And then Jesus stops, calls him, and he says this amazing thing. Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And he throws off his cloak. Imagine the scene. He throws off his cloak, springs up, came to Jesus. Jesus says, what do you want for me to do to you? And here's what is, he says. Rabbi, I can't see. I cannot see. Please restore my sight. The desperation in this man, the whole crowd is telling him to shh, stop. If that isn't commentary on where our culture is today, it's not very popular to follow Jesus in this moment. The crowd around Bartimaeus tells him to be silent. You're embarrassing us. We have a plan. This is Jesus of Nazareth. He's very popular right now, Bartimaeus. We would very much appreciate it if you would just shut up and not embarrass us. We want to present ourselves well to Jesus. We want him to be impressed with us. Look at our works. Look at the things we do for him. We don't want him to look at us as desperate people. So Bartimaeus, would you please stop? You're wrong. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your blindness. And guess what Barnabas did? Got louder. <laughs> he got louder. Because you know what? The most important thing in his life in that moment is not what everybody thinks about him. It's the help and the healing power of the Son of God. That's the most important thing. This man sees eternally. He's persistent in his faith. He perseveres in it. Jesus stops and calls him. He springs up. It's the moment he's been waiting for his entire life. He's now realized, now think about this with me. He's now realized, I am blind. I cannot see. I have need. I am done. I'm dead in the water. And then he hears about Jesus. He's like, let me position myself there. And he believes in Jesus, says, I know this man can help me. I know he's the only one that can and then he's persistent. Nothing else matters, not what everybody says, not what happens around me. All that matters is let me get to Jesus. And Jesus says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Sweet. Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. A lot of New Testament scholars would believe that Bartimaeus was a pillar in the early church. That's actually why they think that his name was mentioned here. Is he's not just a blind man, he's actually Bartimaeus. Because everybody would have recognized him when they read this letter by Mark. Go your way, your faith has made you well. He recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Ephesians 2 says this, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. 
This is a tale of two types of disciples. The call today is simple. Know your need, set your arrogance down. Realize how much you need Jesus. And then imperfectly, you will never do this perfectly the rest of your life. Imperfectly believe in Jesus. All of your doubts, all of your anxieties, do it imperfectly, but do it. Believe in Jesus. Be like Bartimaeus, say, I'm gonna sit down right here. There's no way he can miss me. I'm gonna put myself right in his path. And when he comes by, I'm gonna cry out. Imperfectly believe in Jesus the rest of your life. And then imperfectly persist in your faith. Persist, persevere, anchor down, crowd, Jericho, fanfare, rebukes, a history of shame and disappointment, sit down on the road, cry out to Jesus, and never stop doing that. There's no way to be healed outside of him. You're about to have an opportunity to trust Jesus, to put your faith in him and fight for this. Don't be the one that's too familiar with the gospel. Because what does it profit a man that he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Why do you care about what anybody else thinks? Lay it down. It's become too familiar with us. We hear it all the time. And today maybe just, I mean, I'm hoping this, but maybe God's working on your heart and your eyes of your heart have been blind, but he's, you're setting yourself on the road today. That's what I wanna invite you to. Give your life to Jesus. Trust him. He is so good. He's so good. Maybe you just need to rem remind her today that, yeah, this is who I am. This is what I wanna be. The gospel's too familiar with me. I need to, I need to kickstart my heart. I need, to, I need to take heart. I need to get up. I feel like Jesus is calling me. Throw off your cloak. Spring up to him. Don't hesitate.